Please be advised that the following podcast episode may contain sensitive content related to suicide, mental health concerns, and addictions. The information and opinions expressed in this episode are intended for educational purposes only and should not be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Listeners who may be struggling with suicidal thoughts, mental health concerns, or addiction are advised to seek immediate help from a licensed healthcare professional or a local emergency department. The content in this episode may be distressing for some listeners, and we encourage you to use discretion and self-care when listening. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome to the Brain Mastery Podcast, brought to you by ABI Wellness. This series features renowned experts on brain injury, brain health, and rehabilitation. Be sure to visit abiwellness.com for more resources. I want to welcome everybody back to the Brain Mastery Podcast. We actually almost flipped this one sideways because we have somebody who's who would be a remarkable host for this podcast, Rob Nash, who comes to this work through the lens of music and lived experience, is somebody that is really helping to change communities through service, through really serving leadership and, and helping people to understand the possibilities that may exist for them in their life and in their lives transformation. So Rob, man, thanks for making the time today. I know you do a lot of these, but thanks for making the time to share a little bit of your wisdom with our audience here today. For sure. Well, and you, we should explain. So he was going to introduce me, but then I was like, Mark, you've got like a rock star name, like Mark Watson. And he's like, I don't think it sounds cool. I'm like, no, I can hear it. Like, please welcome to the stage, Mark Watson. And uh, he's like, let's flip the script. So that's what I was planning for. So my like one gig before I got a record deal and all that was I was a radio DJ. So, you know, I got good at doing voices and stuff. Oh yeah. You're awesome at it, man. And <laughs> you know, Rob, for our listeners here, you know, this podcast was designed specifically to help people better understand, you know, what's possible for brain mastery. So really, as we talked about offline, and we have a few mutual connections, it really is all about helping to explore human potential, trying to understand what can be possible from a brain-based perspective. A lot of the times we see it physically in physical health, and we're really trying to help our listeners to better understand what's possible from from kind of the brain side. So why don't you, for our, our listeners, give us a little bit of introduction as to who you are, what you do, and what led you into kind of a lot of the service work that you do around kind of mental health and brain health? Yeah, well, first of all, most musicians start off with their, I wanted to be a musician my whole life, you know, and that just wasn't really the case for me. I love music. My family was really musical, but music was my worst mark in school and I auditioned for the choir. I didn't make it. You know, but uh, I did love music, but I'm six foot five. I played a lot of sports. And yeah, when I was 17 years old, I mean, my friends were being teenagers. You know, you feel like indestructible at 17. And we went to get some dates for or some flowers for our dates. And we went, we're going way too fast on slippery roads in Manitoba. And we were almost back at our school. We pulled out to pass one last car. My friend was driving. We got hit by a semi truck, crushed our vehicle. And uh, my friends were all fine, but I was not. It's been really interesting because my my life and everything that happened has really been a story told to me because, and I can speak a little bit more about this with you than others, but you know, there's your short-term memory and long-term memory and short-term memory takes a few days to get stored into your long-term memory. And for me, 
I don't remember getting into a car accident. I don't remember that day or the day before. My last memory was two days before because it hadn't been stored into my long-term memory yet. So I, I don't remember the accident or anything like that. So I've been basically been told my story of what happened to me in the next few months, basically. So for example, a little while ago, I met a guy and he had just taken a first responders course the week before my accident. And he was driving on a country road. He was supposed to be turning left, but he heard a big crash and felt a nudge to go that way. And so I met with him and he got to meet with him and he says, yeah, I found you. You had no pulse. You weren't breathing. And he had just taken this course. So he started, you know, resuscitating me and you can be cut wide open, but if you're, if you're not, if your heart's not beating, you don't bleed out, right? Because the blood's not flowing. And he said, I knew your heart started beating when blood started pouring out of the side of your head. And then he said, I tried to hold your skull together. And so you wouldn't bleed out before the ambulance got there. And yeah, so I had to chat with him and he would phone the hospital all the time and say for years, he'd say, just tell me, did that kid make it, you know? And with privacy laws, they they couldn't tell him, you know, so I met with him a few years ago. It was just wild to meet with him and hear his story, right? So they got me to the next hospital and, and uh, my family came and, you know, got the bad news and stuff. And they said, well, his heart's beating again, so we'll put his head back together with titanium like this side. And yeah, that, that was the first of a few surgeries. And I don't remember being in a hospital. I woke up, I didn't know who I was or my parents or nothing. And yeah, and then finally got to go home. I don't remember going home, but my mom and my sisters were doing all the nurses' jobs and cleaning all the wounds and stuff. And then, yeah, it was this wild story. And then, you know, people throw a lot of cliches at you, mm -hmm. right? Some of my family, you know, told me that God spanked me with a semi because I was a bad kid, you know, which I sure didn't do much for my healing. Some no. people told me it was fate, like, what happens happens, you know, and I didn't like that because fate says you have no choice. You're just a puppet. Right. Right. And I know it wasn't fate because I'll tell you this, my best friend who was in the back seat with me, he didn't want to get into the car. He didn't trust the driver because the driver just got his license. So he had a nudge. We shouldn't do it. And I convinced him to get into the car. So he had a nudge. And then, but the most common, the most common cliche people would throw at me and people say this with great intentions. And some people do wonderful things with this statement, but I think it does more damage than good. People told me that everything happens for a reason. So now I had to figure out the reason I was hit by a semi. And that brings you to the whole why me thing. And so for two years, you know, I was suicidal. You know, I'd gone from a six foot five guy that played a lot of sports to a guy getting bathed by his mom. So everything happens for a reason. I don't want to be alive then. And nobody knew that I was suicidal and nobody knew what I was going through. Uh, everybody was asking about the physical injuries that you talked about before. Yes, How's your physical yes, health? How's your skull yes, pain? How's yes, your shoulder? Yes. Because I've had a lot of lot of surgeries, you know, and nobody was asking the important question. And that's how you're, how's what's going on inside? You know, how's your mental health, your emotional health, your spiritual health, right? And then somebody came up to me at two years after the accident. He goes, you're trying to figure out the reason this happened to you, right, Rob? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, I think I know what it is. I'm like, what is it? He goes, I think the reason you had an accident that day is, is you guys were going too fast on an icy road. Shit happens. What are you going to do with it? And that sounds simple, but that set me free because I realized yeah. okay, not a puppet, our decisions, there's, there's consequences that you, and, and I realized, okay, I, I don't have to be mad at fate or God or everything happens for a reason, but I'm like, okay, I got a second chance. Maybe I should do something with this. And I remember I screamed at this guy and I was like, like, okay, I want to do something with my life. Like I want to do something that matters this time, you know? And I thought I'd hear a voice telling me to, 
move to Africa and build a well or something. And mm-hmm. I would have done whatever I felt in my heart that day. But what I felt clear as day, you know, you get those nudges, you know, yeah. I felt phone the semi driver to hit you and tell him you're alive. And it took me a while to get his number. Oh my God. Cause, yeah. Cause you're calling the police and you're like, Hey, can I get the number of the semi driver that ran me over? And the cops like, no. <laughs> right. But man, this, this voice wouldn't leave me alone. So I, Finally, a cop's like, hey, you didn't get this from me, but here's his number. And I got a hold of this trucker from the U.S. And he said, uh, I said, is this so-and-so? And he goes, yeah. And I said, you remember that car accident up in Canada? And he got real quiet. And I said, I just felt I should call you, tell you, like, I'm alive. I made it. I survived. And he said, I'm, I'm just so sorry about your friend. I was like, what friend? He goes, oh. died and crushed his skull. I'm like, no, that's me. Found out he hadn't driven a vehicle since that day. And and I, like what happened, I could tell I helped him that moment. Like that yeah. set him free. But what mattered in that story, what happened to me? Like I'd never done anything for anyone but me until that moment. And I was wow. like, I want more of that. Like that wow. felt good. And I didn't have to move to Africa and, and build a well. Like, <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with it. If you've got a big vision, go for it. But I just made a phone call and it felt good. It felt significant. And I was like, man, I want to tell my story so other people don't have to die like I did before they start to live and follow those promptings. And Beautiful. I'm like, how, how, how can I tell my story? And I'm like, you know what? Every kid's got earphones in their ears. Everybody's listening to music. Music can calm you down. It can rile you up. So I'm like, music would be a good way to tell a story. So I started a band and man, those first, we were working hard and there'd be four people in the audience and we'd be like, where's the crowd? <laughs> like we want to have an impact. And now I listen to that first album and it's probably good. There was only four people there because we weren't very good, but we got better and did another album and another album, got a record deal and ended up having a few top 10 hits on the radio and yeah, playing to some big crowds. Amazing. What a story, you know, uh, and thank you. I want to thank you for sharing that with, with our audience here today. That's probably one of the most vulnerable moments in the history of this podcast. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, I think what you said is so incredibly powerful that through giving, we can set others free and we may never know what someone else may be going through as a result of an experience, whatever that might be. Totally. You know, I I just saw this thing. I was, I love watching podcasts and stories on, but this guy is like a detective, I guess. And, and his job is he by the golden great bridge that Mm -hmm. when they find a body, his job is to go investigate and go to the person's home to make sure it was in fact a suicide, no foul play or whatever. And he says he became so calloused, like he had seen it. It was always the same thing. And he got to this one home and it changed everything. He opened the door and oh, there's the note on the kitchen table, you know, and he opened it up to read it. And it said, I'm 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 going to the Golden Gate Bridge to take my life. If anybody says hello to me before I get there, I'll come home and rip up this note. Say hello. But we are so blinded. We are so in the West, in North America, we've become so self-absorbed in just what's in front of me, what's for me, 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 me. And it's it's just not the right way to live. And just a simple word can make a difference. And yeah, so, and, and I'll be honest with you, like you're, you're talking about vulnerability and all that stuff. Like we toured with the biggest bands and some great people, but often we meet them backstage and you meet them and you think they're going to be so fulfilled because they're the rock stars, you know, and they got all the money, they got the the fame, they got the cars, they got the women, you know, and, and you meet them, there's just, there's something missing and they don't get it. And I think it's because, you know, Hollywood stopped teaching its success and they never went on to significance. And so 
you know, we were, we had four top 10 hits on the radio and I'll never forget doing one show. And, and then we were working on a deal in the U S and going elsewhere. And I thought, I don't want to just be like all these other bands. Like I want to use this and do something with it. Like, yeah, I was offered a nine month tour to just me and my guitar going in through some schools, telling my story. And it was a nine month tour with no pay. And I, yeah, everyone thought I was crazy, but I ripped up my record deal, walked away and, <laughs> and did this nine month tour. I had to refinance my home to do it. And everybody thought it was sacrificial, but it was one of the best decisions I ever made. It was just, again, it wasn't just success. Now it felt like significance, actually telling stories and listening to stories. And yeah, it was, yeah. And then at the end of that nine months, other communities started calling other schools and then prisons and youth detention centers wow. and reserves. And they're saying, you know, can you come talk? We heard about your impact. Can you come here? So I'm like, okay. So I brought my other uh, guitars back. So it was now two acoustic guitars and then it got a little bigger. And I brought, brought a drummer, brought in a drummer and then we're starting to get a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. And then I started writing songs together with these kids <laughs> that we were meeting. Right. And I love it inmates and stuff and like you can read a headline i remember this one kid i met you know he you know he's in jail for murdering his parents and that's a horrible headline and then you sit down and talk with them and you're like hmm. wow like nobody's born with that hate in their heart you know and you meet these people and just and you start writing with them and yeah i you when you hear somebody's story and and for me once i realized that like my entire life, I would watch some people go through a tough day and they could wipe it off and keep walking. They seemed unaffected. And that was never me. Like if I, if I went through something, it would rock me. And I'm like, why is it, why am I, why am I cursed with this extra emotion? Why do I hurt so deeply? And then I realized I'm an artist. <laughs> like, like I hurt deeply and I can express myself through music. I'm an artist. I write. And until I realized I could write and pour it into something, it almost overwhelmed me. And I think that's why we see a lot of death by suicide in bands. You know, it's like you're operating mm -hmm. this, this torment of, of these emotions that you've been given. Right. And like, I was just at the mall the other day and this girl walks up and she goes, Rob, she goes like, your music means so much to me. She's crying. She goes, cause I was diagnosed with depression. I have suicidal thoughts. And I was like, Oh, so you're like me. She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, you hurt deeply, but you love deeply too, don't you? And she, yeah. I'm like, you hurt deeply, but you can see when others are hurting, can't you? She's like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, you have what I have and it sucks sometimes, but you can help a lot of people with that. I'm like, isn't it interesting? Like, depression is very real, but isn't it interesting? I said to her that we get diagnosed with depression. Nobody gets diagnosed with empathy. Yeah. You know, yeah, but, but like right there, stop it right there. That is one of the wisest things I've heard on this podcast a guest ever say, because there's there are two sides to that. When you're highly sensitive, you you have this capacity to feel it's a gift, right? And acknowledging and understanding that, yes, it's a challenge too. And when we're talking about you know, clinical depression, yes, support is extremely, extremely mm -hmm. important. It's very serious. But the other side to that, if you could elaborate just a little bit more on that and, and what you've experienced through that journey of, of learning about your gift of empathy. Yeah, well, it, it, I, and then I looked at her. I'm like, so do you dance? Do you sing? Do you paint? Or poetry? She's like, I'm a dancer. How do you know? Like, You're an artist. I'm like, you know, you're meant to, you've been given something special. 
And I'm not saying that I'm against medication, but often it's like, here, take this, it'll make you normal. I'm sure you know the story, but in case your your viewers don't, but there was an eight-year-old girl that was called into the principal's office and her parents were sitting there. She's like, oh, crap. <laughs> and the principal says, your daughter's useless. She, she We're kicking her out of school. She can't sit still. She can't focus. She can't think straight. She distracts all the other kids to give examples of how useless your girl is. Here comes all the teachers. Each teacher came into the room giving examples of how useless she was and why she was getting kicked out the last teacher came in and said to the parents can i talk to you in the hallway for a moment they're like okay so as they're leaving the room the teacher flipped the radio on and they closed the door they're standing in the hallway and parents are like what do you want to tell us i said nothing i want to show you something look through the window and because she flipped the radio on this little girl was already dancing around the room <laughs> i said there's she goes there's nothing wrong with your daughter she's a dancer she needs to be moving to think Put her in dance class, let her channel that, get it out. So long story short, she went into dance school. She went on to the Royal Ballet. She met Andrew Lloyd Webber. She wrote all the choreography for her first musical called Cats. Then she wrote Phantom of the Opera. And now she is a multimillionaire with dance colleges worldwide for kids just like her because one person said, you're not cursed, you're gifted. Nowadays, we would have medicated her to make her sit still. Again, I'm not always against medication. Don't no. Just no, cut no, that no, piece no, out. No, no, but it's no, like, no. channel it. This and and I when I told my story, you know, it was like, look, I had this accident, make every day count because you don't know what's coming tomorrow. And you know, everybody's got a story, right? But I never talked about the fact that I was suicidal. Because I thought, what would the students think of me? What would the staff think of me? What would my team think of me? I'd never said it to anyone. But then one day we got called to a school in Ontario and the principal said, Can you come right away? Uh, our team's like, yeah, what, what happened? So we had a suicide. But on this girl's suicide note, it revealed that she had a pact with a friend. If you kill yourself, I'll kill myself. Principal said, we don't know who it is. So we were like, we'll, we'll get there right away. So we don't charge anything for what we do. Everything is through our charity. But what are you going to do in a moment like that? So, well, our flights are this or hotel. Yeah. yeah. This. Like, yeah. Like, no, yeah. we'll get there right away. So we, we got out there. But man, Mark. I'm sitting in front of a thousand students and somebody sitting in front of me was about to take their life. I don't know where they're sitting. And I've, I know in my heart, I've got to say it for the first time from stage. Mm. Never said it to anybody that I was suicidal. And I get to the point of the show and I'm like, Oh boy, my heart's just racing. It's like, I know somebody sitting in front of me right now is thinking about taking their life. I'm like you're not alone. I was there once too. And I braced for it. And it felt like a thousand pounds off me. And all of a sudden, the relationship between me and the audience, me and my team, I walked off stage and it wasn't just signing autographs and taking selfies. It was just the meaningful conversations it went to another level. And then this girl came up to me and she pulls a note out of her pocket, an old crinkled up note. And she hands it to me. I'm like, what's this? She goes, my suicide note. I was going to kill myself this weekend. She goes, here, I don't need this anymore. And the school counselor and principal are standing next to me and she walked off with them to get the help that they needed, that she needed. And I was like, what just happened? And I was so confused because that note was not freshly written. She didn't write it while mm -hmm. I was on stage. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, what yeah. just happened? And I talked, I did an event in Toronto once and there's a police officer that does, they do their focus on a teen suicide. And I said, I don't get it. Why was the note fresh? Like that wasn't a freshly written note. And they said, Verily, very rarely is the note freshly written. Yeah. People write it usually two to three months before they take their life and they carry it with them. 
waiting for somebody to push them over the edge or for somebody to reach out and say, you're not alone and say something that lets them know that they're not cursed. They're gifted, that their life matters. Right. So then it's the next day. And I'm like, okay, there's another thousand students in front of me and pre COVID, which by the way, COVID has not helped very much, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) pre COVID one in five teenagers in Canada had seriously considered suicide. One in five. Last 12 months had seriously considered suicide. So now I'm sitting with another thousand students. I'm like, well, the stats are true. Then it's in front of me again. Second time was a little easier. I'm like, I know somebody in the room is thinking about taking their life. You're not alone. I was there once too. And a young man came up, gave me his note. Wow. And that started, became a focus. And yeah, ended up um, in our 12 years of touring before COVID, 917 students handed us. Wow. Yeah. I want to acknowledge you and and thank you for your resilience and your kind of self exploration. And I'm sure it's it's a it's a daily practice going back inside and you know revisiting all the challenges that you've been through. But then also, I want I hope that you're acknowledging the gifts that you're giving to people are extremely profound and they're changing communities because I don't know. If you, I'm sure you do, you're a very mindful guy, but in many of the indigenous communities, decisions are made not on today. They're made for seven generational impact. And that is truly the gift that you're bestowing on those for which you share space with. And that's, that is special, man. Like Mm -hmm. that is extremely special because in order to do it, there's a level of vulnerability and authenticity required. To establish that connection. Yeah. It takes a long time to get a good reputation and it takes one day to get a bad one. When we started going to reserves, oh, it was, I don't want to say tense, but it was like, you could see it was like, what's the motive here? What did, mm-hmm. not just the elders, but the young people. It's like, you know, the, here comes a white boy to save the day. Like, wh- what's your motive? You know, where are the cameras? Is this a publicity stunt? What did you right. charge to come here? Oh, it's free. Oh, your charity's in debt. Oh, and they're trying to, and then once they saw it and, We've done so much work with the indigenous people. And if you're if you're indigenous and you get to a certain amount of respect from the chiefs, they'll give you your spirit name. Each each name is, is a different animal and they all have different names or, uh, and meanings. And if you get called the bear, you'll probably, that means you're the protector. You'll probably become chief when you're older. And yeah, there was a ceremony in the chief's head and they gave me my spirit name and I'm not indigenous. And they said, we've, we've been trying to protect our kids and you're protecting them for us. And and they don't call me Rob Nash. They call me Bear Chief. Wow. That's my name, Chief of the Bears. So that's why I tattooed a bear on my hand with Chief, <laughs> Chief across the fingers right there. Ah, I absolutely, that's such a, I got goosebumps. That's such a good story. You know what I love about working with the Indigenous people is, mm. again, we talk, first thing you said, we're talking about physical health, there's mental health, emotional health, spiritual health. And in our yeah. country, nobody wants to yeah. talk about yeah. spiritual health. So like, man, a drumbeat is spiritual to the indigenous people. That door is wide open, you know? Oh, I, I just absolutely love it. And, you know, it made me think about so many different things. And I don't have another comment on that because it's just beautiful what you said. If we think about, you know, some of the audience that we might have here, this is such good information and content. It's just amazing what you're doing. I love what you're doing. And I now know why our mutual colleague connected us. You know, I think about so many people, these are professionals, many of them that will listen to this. These are like your classic physiotherapists. These could be occupational therapists, clinical counselors, neuropsychologists, 
people who with lived experience following any sort of a brain injury. So this could be a traumatic brain injury, an acquired brain injury, like a stroke, people suffering from illness. Mm-hmm. When you think about, I really want to dial into this because you are a master at, at this topic. Let's say I'm thinking about an individual that I met 26 years post-injury. And he was kind of told by everybody involved with his care to expect less, okay? To not work too, don't push too hard because you have these deficits, right? You have this challenge with attention and memory and planning and all of these kind of executive functions. And because those are so low, you're going to be on disability and you're going to need to take it slow. Don't push yourself too hard. You might get tired too quick. But yet physically, they had said, you know, keep physically active, but cognitively don't. What do you say to that person that's listening? Yeah. And by the way, like, I'd love to say that my physical and mental and emotional healing was just done like that. I am still, and I have got my own issues with short-term memory, visual short-term memory, especially with, uh, with my brain injury and stuff. But, you know, for me, I'll give you a few examples. Okay. One, Please. when I, when I talk with do shows for the addictions foundations, right. Mm-hmm. I always say like, look, I'm not here. Cause I feel sorry for you guys. Like, Again, I told you about like, if somebody tells me they're depressed and they're suicidal thoughts, it's like, well, you've got this emotion. What if that's not a curse? What if that's a gift? What if you're meant to channel this into something? With an addict, I'm like, I'm not here because I feel sorry for you guys. Addicts feel like they're cursed because they can't stop. Their friends can party on the weekend. They can shut it off and go back to work or go back to school. Addict can't. You're still partying on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Gets worse every week, every month, every year. And you think you're cursed because you can't stop. And I looked, I just did one for the Addictions Foundations of Alberta. They all came together and I said, look, you're not cursed, you're gifted. You're just all in people. You don't do anything half-assed. Like, I'm an all-in person. When I got a hold of drugs, I was all in. When I got a hold of a guitar, I was all in. It's not a curse, it's a gift. Point that at the right thing and you'll excel at whatever you want. And whenever you're talking with somebody that's, suicidal, depressed, anxiety, all these different things, an addict. And they actually see that you're like, I'm here to, I think we're losing some of the most gifted people to addiction and suicide, for example. So it's like, that's why I do this. We are losing some of the most gifted people. When you go in with that mindset, you know, it's like, wait, you believe in me, don't you? Yeah. So this one, this is, <laughs> yeah, this is, this is the story yeah. I'll tell you. This guy comes up to me um, and he walks up and he goes, I am bipolar. I'm like, okay. He goes, I've got Asperger's syndrome. I'm like, okay. I was addicted to crack and cocaine. I'm like, all right. And he goes, you're telling me I'm not cursed that I'm gifted. I'm like, that's correct. And he goes, explain. I was like, bipolar, highs and lows, emotions. So you're probably an artist of some sort. Asperger's syndrome. So hyper-focused on whatever you do. Crack, cocaine, you're an addict. Man, that combo right there, dangerous combo for both the good in the world and the bad in the world that you can do damage wherever you put yourself. I'm like, where do you put yourself? All that focus, that energy, all that emotion. stuff. Like that. He goes, I play guitar, Mike. And I bet you're dang good at it. And he goes, yeah, I am. He goes, can I play for you? I'm like, yeah. So I pull up my guitar, show me. And he goes, no, can I play for you? <laughs> Asperger's syndrome. Asperger's syndrome, autism, very direct. I'm like, you want to play in my band? Yes, I do. Show me you can play. He starts ripping. 
I'm like, holy cow. I said, you learn my songs. Next time we're in Edmonton, you can do a week of shows with me. And he stayed on my tour bus for two and a half years, became one of my best friends. And I would show a video of him halfway through the show. It was kind of on the LED walls behind us, right? All of a sudden, you kind of see in Hayes, and he'd be telling his story. Everything you said, people told him not to, just to be careful, not just to take it easy. There's so you're never going to get married. You're never going to have kids. You're never, you're never going to excel at anything. Blah 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 blah. So I'd show this video of him, right? And then he's talking about being bipolar, and video would end. I'd ask that audience, I'm like, "Have you ever seen that guy before?" Crowd's like, no. I'm like, yeah, you have. He's been standing on stage next to me this whole show. And then there'd be a line of kids, bipolar, Asperger's, autism, addicts. They didn't want to meet me. They wanted to meet him. And yeah, guess what? He's married. He has kids. You know, he lost 100 pounds. He started working out. Like so much of his healing was himself, changed his diet, all of these things. And I don't know how many are listening and how many are watching, but he bought me this. It's an old, old stop, like a pocket watch. Yeah. Said, Thank you for the time that you gave. Oh, come yeah. on, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's unreal. You know, one of the things that a theme, I'll be really vulnerable here in my life, and is what led me to doing the work that, that, that I do with our team, is if you have a challenge, I, I am of the belief that everybody is worthy of a challenge. And sadly, a lot of people that you're kind of mentioning there and a lot of, especially, you know, when we talk about kids, but even adults and, and elders, if you want to get somewhat better at something, you should have the option to try. Whether you try or not, that's up to you. Okay, that's totally up to you. But, you know, it, it makes me think about my early learning. I'm dyslexic and, you know, I had, you know, a series of concussions while playing football in university. And... The last time I ever played football, when that happened, I had a pretty severe concussion. And unlike all, you're an athlete, I'm an athlete, uh, or I'm a somewhat of an athlete. You know, when I had my, my knee injury, it was very clear what I had to do to get somewhat better functioning. Very clear. Need yeah. to be able to bend, you know, 90 degrees, 10 times in a row kind of thing. You got to go do the work. When this thing happened, when the concussion happened, it was drugs and rest. So what does that mean? Drugs and rest. Okay. Then what? Well, hopefully everything's fine. And then I came to learn about all the neuroscience going, well, actually those multiple head injuries, that's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. In the short term, we can ignore the symptoms, right? And, you know, many of us are masters at that. <laughs> but in reality, the beautiful gift that we now understand is, is there is the brain is plastic. The brain can change. The brain is neuroplastic. And when people struggle with these attention and memory and planning challenges, a lot of the standard of care right now in most communities is accept your new reality, kid. Accept mm -hmm. your new reality. And I say, no, build in a behavioral plan first that yeah. optimizes neuroplastic change because everybody's worthy of that damn challenge. Now, yeah. if you get better, hopefully you get somewhat better. If you don't, then you can surrender to compensatory strategies. But I say, no, man. And you are such a great example of this. You're one of the best examples I've ever met. And I need to meet you one day because what you're doing aligns so well with what we're doing. And it's so right on purpose with the why of why we do what we do. Because I saw this and I had massive imposter syndrome. I remember really well. I've also told you I'm, I'm a cancer survivor as well. And when I went through that journey, a lot of what you said really resonated for me because I had a choice. I was sitting there 37 years old, okay? Two kids. 
working my tail off, just finished graduate school, you know, working way too hard, drinking too much coffee, spending way too much time in a car. And I get this diagnosis. And you know me, I'm kind of like you, I'm a type A, I'm, I'm communicative. And my wife kind of more introverted, way smarter, I married way up. And she kind of looks at me and says, what's up? Because I'm quiet for like the first time for a couple of days. And she's like, you know, talk to me. And I'm like, what are we, what are we going to do here? Like, like I usually, I'm a thinker. I'm a classic guy, right? I don't want to solve the problem. And then it was just like, you know what? This can't be how it is. Like, this, I'm, I'm going to go all in on this. I'm going to find a way. And I read the research and I started moving more and meditating, building out that practice. Surely some of it was wanting some semblance of control, surely. <laughs> but what ended up happening was a pretty good result. And I poured in, just like you were saying, when I was in that chemo ward on the sixth floor, not the place you want to be, it's not very fun, but you're in there. And some of the folks, sadly, may not have had the great gifts I had around me of amazing family, amazing coworkers, amazing friends all pouring into me. So I felt this huge sense of responsibility to give that connection to the other people that were there. And I would do it frequently because some of the people were all alone. So I had the gift of gab and I'm, I'm talking with them saying, hey, oh, you're almost done. Look at your trips. Almost, you're almost out of here, man. I just started. And, and you, you know, we got this, you know, hey, you, we brought extra cookies. You want a cookie? You know, yeah. and, and, and slowly but surely over time, my hope is that some of those people, by believing a little bit more in, the, in themselves and doing more behaviorally, hopefully they started to have more agency to be able to not just surrender to this diagnosis or whatever it might be to understand that, no, damn it, I'm still Rob Nash and this is my goal. So I just really want to kind of acknowledge you on that because it's really powerful. And I remember a moment similar for me was when I did the workout to conquer cancer. I'm sitting there in front of, you know, thousands of people right before another round of chemotherapy going, I could be sitting back feeling sorry for myself and then no one would beat me up for it. And mm -hmm. I did feel sorry for myself at times, for sure. Yeah. But instead, I tried to channel it into what can I give? How can I help? Mm -hmm. How can I raise funds? How can I raise money to help with this research? Because yeah. I was getting the best care possible. Then I looked at brain injury and said, oh, we are failing. Yeah. We are not doing a good enough job. We need to take what we've learned from this sort of care and apply it to those in need. So yeah. I just want to commend you, man. It's just so powerful what you're doing. Well, it sounds like we're on the same team. You know, you covered a lot of ground there, but you talked about, you know, facing adversity. Uh, I don't know if you use the word adversity, but, you know, you've got your own, everybody's got their struggles. Everybody's got their story, right? You go through these things, but I'm the same way. Like I just had my head rebuilt at the Mayo Clinic in, in Rochester a little bit ago. And when you get to a hospital and I'm, I'm at the doctor quite a bit, you know, and when I'm like, who's going to be in this waiting room? Like when you go in there and guess what? Like you want to be careful, like, you know, some people spend their whole lives only focused on themselves. They don't do anything for anybody else. That's not healthy. Some people spend all their time taking care of the people around them, don't do anything for themselves, don't take care of themselves. Also not healthy. But man, when you go into a hospital and you've got the attitude you just did, like there's somebody that's going to be sitting there alone that's having a rougher day than me. It's, isn't it interesting how that actually makes your chemo go a little better? You know, and I just did another interview in this, and it's, it's just, DJ goes, Well, Rob, he goes, It's kind of good that you were hit by that semi truck, isn't it? I was like, no, it's not good to get hit by a semi. He goes, well, look what you've done with it. I said, the semi didn't make me do this. He goes, but if you could go back in time, you'd do it all over again, wouldn't you? I'm like, hmm, no, I wouldn't. He goes, what? 
I wouldn't. And he goes, he goes, look, I said, if you can convince me by the end of this interview that I had to get hit by a semi-truck to think and believe the way I do, then I'll stop my tour. I'll stop telling stories. I'll sell all of my guitars. I'll get a semi-license and I'll start running people over. <laughs> he goes, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I'm like, well, I get what you're saying. Like, you, you yeah, like, I had to, yeah. but look, we, yes, you can learn from hitting rock bottom. You can learn from tragedy, but you can also learn from watching the stories and hearing the stories of the people around you, learning from the mistakes your parents made, older brothers and sisters. That I tell my story again. So you don't have to get hit by a semi like I did, right? Like you can learn from tragedy. He goes, well, you're young, Rob. You don't get it. He goes, one day you'll figure this out. He goes, do you know uh, Rick Hansen in the wheelchair? I said, yes, I do. I don't know him, but I know who yeah. you're talking about. Well, he says he's happy and he's in a wheelchair because of what he's been able to do with it. I said, that says a lot about Rick Hansen, not about wheelchairs. Yeah. Not everybody has done what Rick Hansen has done. He had to make some decisions to do what he did. And good yes. for him. That is amazing. You know, just like you, Mark, you are not going like going through cancer probably changed your outlook on some things and you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. and you yeah, might yeah. change your diet. You might, but yeah, yeah. I guarantee you wouldn't say like, oh, I hope my daughter has cancer. Yeah. It's, yeah. Exactly. You don't wish this on the no. next year. I don't no. want somebody else to get it by a semi-truck, but we get caught in these things. Right. And I started seeing it so much in these, these young people. And then a song that I wrote in my bathroom, all of a sudden there's their tattoo. I'm getting tagged. They're tattooing these lyrics of these songs that were just a journal for me. They're tattooing these lyrics on their arms where they, where they used to cut, you know? Wow. So I took, so I took the signatures and all wow. the names off of these suicide notes. We were but given and I tattooed them on my arms. And I was like, cause I, I, I'm like, if I'm that much a part of your life, I want to show you you're that much a part of my life. And I want to be able to show people, look, if you've got suicidal thoughts, you're not alone. Look, at these are all names of people that had those thoughts too, and they're still here. Because unfortunately, in the media, when we hear about mental illness, we only hear about the suicides. When we hear about addiction, we hear about the overdoses because tragedy sells. But we need to balance those stories of stories of victory and triumph. And during COVID, man, was I frustrated because we did... The last five years before COVID, we couldn't meet the demand anymore. So we were setting up in massive theaters and arenas and we'd pay for all the school buses and we'd fly in the kids from the reserves. And so our last show was the arena in Medicine Hat. We walked off stage and the world ended, right? COVID. Mm -hmm. And we didn't know if it'd be two weeks or two months or two years. Right. right? But pretty quickly, everything shut down. And I thought to myself, interesting. I was in high school. Suddenly I was put in isolation. Suddenly I couldn't be with my friends and suddenly I couldn't play sports and I know what happened to me. Now they want to do this to all of our youth. This is going to be a disaster. I get it at first. Like, Hey, are we all going to die yeah. here? Yeah. You know, yeah. but once they, I'm like, these kids need to interact. Right. So we have gotten nothing but nine one one calls through COVID and guess what? Why are they calling us? Unfortunately, we don't get a dollar from the government supporting what we do. And, but we always say like, if you talk to your local government, if you talk, it's like, we just get to laugh because they don't have the support. So when COVID hit, I was like, you know, as I mentioned before, like I try to keep the media out of what I do because I don't want anyone in the audience to think what I do is a publicity stunt. But when COVID hit, I looked down at these names on my arms and I'm like, it's time to tell these stories. So I hired a film crew and during COVID, we went around the country and we followed up with a handful of these kids. Where are they now? And we filmed the documentary and it's all done. 
we've been doing some private screenings, but we're negotiating right now where it's going to come out and stuff. I'll let you and your audience, yeah, yeah, yeah. as we know. But I'll tell you this, it's it tells my story in there as well, but it tells these stories of these kids, right? What I did to like um, one of our staff, Linda, she's out of Quebec. She was a retired teacher. And before she retired, she had a prompting in her heart to get her master's degree so she could be writing curriculum. So me and her sat down and we broke up this documentary into episodes. We made it into a school curriculum, got input from teachers and social workers and counselors and psychologists. And so it's been running for two years during COVID here. We beta tested in four provinces initially. But kids sit, sitting in class right now, they sit in class, they watch a 10-minute movie about my story, they watch a music video, and then they journal in their computers. What was Rob's struggle? What was his breakthrough? How did he get help? And how is he helping other people? The next day, they watch a story of one of the kids from a reserve that we met in Saskatchewan, and then they journal what was his struggle, what was his break. And then after four episodes, they're asked, now, what's your struggle? Where could you uh -huh. find breakthrough? And these kids are pouring their hearts into these journals that goes right to the school counselor. And counselors are just blown away because the first thing is just to get it out, find out what's going on. So, you know, 20% of the kids are raising their hand by the end saying, I need support, you know, and 60% of them are running completely under the radar you know, until they were journaling and getting this stuff out. And through our organization, through our charity, we have partnerships. So if they need post support, we can add to it, you know, if, if a school needs help and all that. But we do it all through our charity. And it's just, uh, it's been an amazing ride. And then we're back on the road. We're doing some shows at the end of May. But yeah, the curriculum's out. It costs us because <laughs> there's no support. It costs us a ton. So we just, but we take care of it all for free right now from schools. But if anyone's watching this and you need this in a, your school, in a community, and you want to go to our website robnash.ca can learn about the curriculum if you want to if you want to reach out to a teacher or a principal or anything like that or support and helping us get it out there be a huge and all the information's on there i mean and it's and it's you know stories of life through darkness right the, that's the name of it which is very very well titled and what i like about it rob is that it it's a true process it's been sequenced very thoughtfully and you know it's student led too, which is also yeah. really great. It's not some Huge. some kind of directive from you know the man down to you. It it really leads to where are you at and yeah. and how can you know how can we help with how can you help yourself by freeing a little bit of that. And you know it makes me think about the work of someone who I think is a real gift to the world. Sadly, we lost him a few years ago, but there's a fellow named Dr. Marshall Rosenberg who created something called the nonviolent communication, which really links observable facts, right? So these are undeniable. These are the facts of a situation, you know, feelings, how am I feeling about said situations, needs met or unmet, and then requests. And I think it's just a beautiful, we'll make sure we have that linked in there in the notes as well, along with the curriculum and the website and the music, you know, everything's going to be in there because, you know, this guy here and his team, are on purpose right now they're 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 rated you're right where you need to be right now i think you know the the <laughs> people need you man and they need to hear your lived experience your authenticity is just unbelievable it's just so i respect you so much for doing what you're doing and you got to keep going right that's the thing you know for me what motivates me is people like you who are out there doing the good work that's why i love sharing these stories of people that are doing amazing things every i mean anywhere from you know, occupational medicine leaders in, in Toronto to talking about, you know, problematic uh, assessments that some yeah. are running uh, because they don't have a solution for said assessment. Therefore, mm -hmm. we, we get to the problematic nature of medicine to people who, you know, following, you know, brain injury 
were told to expect less of themselves. And then they had mm-hmm. a light bulb moment at one point and decided to much like they did physically to improve cognitively and then are back doing meaningful activities. That's why we're having this conversation Yeah, yeah. because we need options. You know, yeah. we need options for people to walk through and choose because if what happens, right? If I'm told I can't do anything, guess what? I'm going to slowly over time. If enough people tell me that I'm going to start believing it, Yeah, yeah. but it could be scary. Right, Rob? If, totally. if you know what, you know what, Rod, you're capable. You can yeah. do a little bit more if you want to. You are well, what you really do, right? Yeah, it's amazing how we take ownership of things, right? Where it's like, I am diabetic. I have, like, I have mm-hmm. cancer. I am this. I have this. I have depression. I am suicidal. And it's like, it's like how we are taught to say these things. And it's like you take ownership of these things instead of I am a conqueror. I can do this thing because, you know, everybody struggles with mental health. Oh, there's days, just like physical health, there's days you feel oh, hurt, yeah. some days you feel 80. Not everyone knows what it's like down to get down to five and 3%. Right. But right. mental health, like it's like physical health. There's, there's days you just don't feel good. Right. And the, what people don't understand about suicidal thoughts is, you know, people often say that suicide is a selfish act because you take your pain and you give it to the people around you, which is absolutely the case. That happens. But if you've never been there, you don't understand that the lie in your head is the most selfless thing you could do is leave. You are a burden to your mom. You are a burden to your dad. You are a burden to your son, your daughter. You're a burden to your community. The world would be better without you. That is the lie that is in your head. And that's the what we're trying to defeat. That's why we look at every kid like you're you're gifted. You're not cursed. You've got to keep going. That's what you see throughout this entire curriculum and documentary we do. Is like, I don't think I'm the next big thing. I don't think I'm the next Bono, but I think one of these kids that I've met with their name, <laughs> you know? Yeah. We're not yeah. trying to change the world. We're trying to create world changers. We're creating an army of freaks that think yeah. they, they're just they're outcasts, right? Our new album, 18 songs. And by the way, Warner Music heard about what we're doing there in our corner now, but it's 18 songs. It talks about war. It's like there's, and in the album, it's the war against the invisible enemy in your head that mental health, those voices. There's days when you're on the front lines. There's days when you feel defeated in the album. There's days when you feel you're in triage. There's days where you feel you need an ally. There's days you're an ally to somebody else. There's moments you're feeling victorious, you know, and some people think every song has to be like fluffy and my, my music isn't, you know, like there, there are moments where I want the person to be like, wow, this guy knows the pain that I feel sometimes, you know, but that's why I'm so fired up about this stuff because you know, I've just, well, to, it should make you feel told. something, right? Like, I mean, I'm the kind of person who never was musically inclined, but always loved listening to music. And I admire music. Like when I hear, I could go right to tears when I hear muddy waters, mm-hmm. you know, when I was a kid, I'm a bit of a freak too. That's why we get along. You, you know, when I was a kid, you know, grew up in British Columbia with a classic kind of English Canadian background. And here I find myself in grade five, listening to muddy waters. I'm a weirdo. <laughs> But I just, when I listened to him play, I could feel the music. I could just feel it. And I remember when I was in university, I'd go to a blues club and listen, my other buddies go somewhere else. I was like, there's a band coming coming through from Detroit and I just want to hang out and I just want to listen. And and that's music. Music should evoke that sort of response. And the way you're using that gift that you have and giving it to engage people in that medium 
in a way that can create that meaning and that feeling because you connect in that feeling. There's a great TED talk that you've probably heard and know of, but I had the fortune of, of attending a TED conference in Toronto. And Stephen Page from Bare Naked Ladies got up there and spoke about music mm-hmm. and about how the influence of music, because a songwriter is constantly playing this game with you, right? It, there's, a, there's, this, there's this interaction between the performer and the audience. And when it gets great, you meet there. And I think, it, I think the name of the song is Chorus Girl. Beautiful song, beautiful song. And I can tell you are a master at this, but you're not a master at this just to surely sell more albums. Although that's also great because it's, it's a win-win and it's going to, it's, it's going to happen, but you're helping people to realize the powers in them. Totally. And, you know, I'll, I'll say this, you know, my producers that produced me when I had a record deal, I walked away and one day I was doing a show in Vancouver at a, at a theater and I'm like, Oh, the studio's down the street where I recorded our big album. So I popped in and, I don't think they were big fans of mine because I walked away and they were all going to make a few bucks off me, you know, but they're like, Rob Nash. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, tell him what I'm doing now. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, I'm about to do a show down the street. Do you want to come? So they came and they're artists. So they're bawling their eyes out in the audience. They're going. And then afterwards they're like, we're in. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> they're like, we're, we, we want to do more than just sell albums. So like, we don't care. You don't have a record deal. We're in, we want to produce your stuff free of charge. And, yeah, Steve, uh, Steve Smith, Anthony Anderson have been in my corner producing my stuff. And now, like, Anthony is on guitar with me on stage. Steve is the guy who produces, and he's vice president of the Rob Nash Project now. And and one of their buddies was like, he was, can I come watch this thing in the theater? He came, and I'm like, he goes, do you need any help with anything? I'm like, well, what do you do? He goes, I, you know, I do videos and stuff. I'm like, so I Google him. He's got three Emmy nominations. And he goes, I'll follow you and film the work you do. So the documentary is just He's been following, filming all this stuff, and he edited the edited the entire documentary that in the curriculum. And you all that stuff. So, are special. Yeah. Well, and I and I and I think well we gone, all, right? I, no, no, hold on, hold on, because <laughs> you're not going to take that. You don't probably don't take compliments very well, uh, <laughs> and, and I understand that. You have to keep going. You you must, and 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 you're building this army of good around you. And remember that people people do that because you've touched them in some way. Right. So it's, it's remarkable to see, you know, the, you talk about success, you know, some of the most successful people, once you get to a certain level, it's just about, you lose that sense of purpose and fulfillment. So if people can understand what their core values are, and if those core values are actually getting met in something different than whatever they're famous for, you just want to do that because your, your needs are met. Right. And, and you've really met a need for me today of purpose. And I, and I, and I tend to think, you know, egotistically, I'm pretty good with purpose. I'm pretty good. No, this was a masterclass on purpose. And you really made me think deeply today. And my hope is that for our audience, for people that we work with, a lot of people to hone back in that would listen to this, they might be running a clinic where they do all the physical injury stuff, right? But they're looking to find ways to help people with cognitive challenges. It's possible, right? And I mean, in in our organization, it took this one one person who, well, there's so many who really inspired me, you know, Glasgow coma three, right? Very severe injury, multiple neurosurgeries, craniotomy. You know, he was a corpse on the way to the hospital is the way it was described. And he came to me, Rob, not to me. He came through to his doctors. He had all different bone graft, orthopedic issues, couldn't walk. I met him in a wheel. He was in a wheelchair. And I mean, it's like, this is like movie stuff. And he's like, one day I'm going to walk up those stairs. And I'm like, well, we'll see about, let's just take the elevator today. 
<laughs> and, and he's kind of looking at me like, Mark, you don't know who I am, damn it. Yep. <laughs> and yep. I'm like, okay, okay. And then over time, so he was in this rehabilitation program where we were seen as very odd because we were training the brain and, and, well, we weren't, people were doing that themselves. We kind of put together the protocols yeah. and they were working on their brains, but also physically. So over time, we started to see improvements. He was, he could walk, bear weight at times. And unbeknownst to me, his goal was actually to drive again independently. But not any car, right? Not any car. No, no, it got to be a stick shift, man. <laughs> He's like, I'm not doing this automatic crap. That that's not happening. But this guy was really reserved in how he didn't want to didn't want to put it out there for everybody in case it didn't happen. Sure. But his goal was to drive again. Before he came to us, he went for his driver reassessment. What did they say? Your cognitive capacities are too low. You will not be allowed to operate a motor vehicle independently. So he took that as a challenge. Right. <laughs> and he's like, okay, I'm going to go through this program that works on cognitive and then we'll see about that. So he's working in the gym hard. One of my mentors, an old football coach of mine, is beside working out beside him and he's just had knee reconstruction and he's kind of maybe having a little bit of a pity party. You know, it's so hard. On a, and then he'd look over at him. He's the, up the level of everybody, everybody around him. This guy's motor unstoppable undefeated so one day i get to know him really well he's an advisor to me now his name's clayton and he's amazing he i get this text message from a number i don't know and i'm like well i shouldn't open it up but i, I did and it's a picture of him behind the wheel smiling wow and he said that he says i did it <laughs> and i'm like you did what you shouldn't be driving i'm looking at that like you're not allowed to drive dude and he's like cognitive capacity is above average Wow. Told you. And, and then next thing, the next thing. So him and I would go for coffee around Christmas every year and he's working again. So he's a dad too. He's like, I'm going to be a damn dad again, man. And do it myself. I'm like, okay, I'm not, I'm not betting against you. Like, uh, like that, 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 that yeah. much I know. Yeah. And he's working at the local grocery store. He's doing his thing. And he's like, but you know what? I've always wanted to work in rec and recreation and health and that kind of stuff. And he's like, so I'm going to, I'm going to work on, I'm going to work on that. And I'm like, he, will you be a reference? I'm like, of course I will. So I get this call, like this kid, I mean, he's not a kid anymore. He's living independently. He's working He's a taxpayer. He's driving. I get this call from the organization and they go, well, what's he like? I said, this is going to be a short interview. Hire him. You, you want a culture where good things happen and a leader and someone who has a ceiling that no one will ever figure out how high it is, hire him. Good for you. Good for and you. so I keep in touch with this guy and, and, and I've seen those stories everywhere. And so don't underestimate, right? Don't underestimate and ask questions yeah. and, and believe, you know, you never know the power of the belief that you have in someone and what that might be able to do for them and their quality of life. So yeah. you man are doing it in a major way. And we're going to think of ways that we can further support what you're doing. And my encouragement to everybody listening today, check out Robin his work, please. You know, a lot of people need this kind of work and support right now. And here's somebody who's a master, master, master storyteller uh, that can come and share those gifts uh, with you in your community. So Rob, man, uh, I want to do this again, if you'd be willing, yeah. you know, it's really, really powerful stuff. There'll be links to the music. There'll be links to the website. There'll be links to ways to support, to donate to the cause. Please consider doing that. This is helping people to help themselves, which is the best way to help people. So my encouragement 
is to is to look to donate right right there. There's links to Kids Help Phone right on the website. You know, it's really easy to donate. I'll be doing it. Just click and help communities in need. So, and I just I want to say too that I want everybody to be aware that it took me a while to figure out my role in the mental health world, but I make it very clear every day from you know from stage wherever I am that I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a counselor, but I get in front of people and I try to be vulnerable and and validate that it is okay to go talk to a counselor, to go see a therapist, go see a psychiatrist, a psychologist, go and get the help that you need. And I try to bridge that gap and make sure that people know my role in that whole thing. Awesome. Well, again, this has been an amazing episode. You know, I've had a lot of favorites, but this is right there. You're a special, special gift. And we'll see everyone on the next episode. This will be a very hard one to talk. So thank you. If it's if it's held value for you, please download it, share it within your networks. That's all we ask on this podcast is share it, share this message with with someone that might need it. Check in on your friends that seem like they're doing the best too. Sometimes they're the best at hiding these challenges. So please, please share this episode today through all your channels. Thank you so much for continuing to listen to the Brain Mastery podcast. We're super grateful for the community of supporters of this podcast. Again, this podcast was designed with an intention and an objective, and that was to share stories of rehabilitation, of recovery from brain injury, to really interview some of the leaders out there to provide more hope to community members. So thank you again for all of the support with that. If this episode resonated for you and had value for you, we just ask, please download and share it. Please also, if you wouldn't mind, rate the podcast. Those ratings really matter and help us to spread the message. If you're a clinical provider out there, meaning a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, or somebody who just works with people with brain injury and wanna learn more about the Bears platform, we've tried to make it as easy as possible for you to do so. Just go to www.abiwellness.com to learn more about how to get involved. Uh, training is very accessible and we've tried to make it very, very easy for people to get access to this neurorehabilitation platform. Thank you again for your support and we'll see you on the next episode. The statements made regarding the Bears platform and ABI Wellness have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of the Bears platform has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. The Bears platform is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All information presented here is not meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from healthcare practitioners. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. The Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act requires this notice.